Disturb us, Lord, when we are too pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we dream too little, when we arrive safely because we sail too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wilder seas where storms will show your mastery. We're losing sight of land. We shall find the stars. Amen. A prayer from that English buccaneering kind of seafarer, Sir Francis Drake. When it comes to travel by sea, I feel similarly to how Mark Twain felt about exercise when he said, Whenever I get the urge to exercise, I lie down until the feeling passes away. (laughs) I've often felt that long voyages on the water seem like a really exciting thing for other people to do. I cannot even begin to imagine how it must have been for those brave or maybe not so brave souls who faced the high seas in the age of Drake. Some 450 years on, there is something for me about Francis Drake that should persist in the cultural imagination that suggests to us that we might want to do something more daring with our lives than our current nine-to-five provides. I suppose next to circumnavigating the globe, most things look a little paltry by comparison. Yet it is the prayer not the explorer dressed in Elizabethan finery that I have come to love about Drake, that we might dare to venture on bolder seas, that we might not cling too closely to the known shores of our lives and be so fixated on building our kingdom on earth that we neglect to wonder at the ethereal kingdom of the heavens. Find the stars. Drake urges us, push out from the easily traced contours of the shoreline, lose sight of land, and meet heaven's gaze. Of course, one of the great impediments to true adventure is the tendency we can have in life of convincing ourselves that we already know where we are going. As we begin this Advent journey from the cosmos to the crib, with the coming of the Son of Man rather backwardly prefiguring the coming of the Christ child, we embark on a journey that is deceptive in its familiarity. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, angels, and ox are lowing. It's a road we've been down so many times before that it can all start to blend in a little. Or worse, we can tune out or tune in to other songs of the season. 
looking to venture out on a voyage into the unknown ourselves this week, my family and I made our way across Piedmont Park to witness the Atlanta Botanical Gardens extravaganza, Garden Lights, Holiday Nights. It was all going rather well until we came across a group of beautifully costumed singers who sang repeatedly that they wanted me to have a holly jolly Christmas, which was a problem for me on a number of levels. Even if I knew what it meant to have a holly jolly Christmas, which I was fairly certain I did not, I was sure I wasn't ready for that kind of social engagement in late November, and certainly not with any of them. Standing there, feeling ecclesiastically aghast, it is possible that I may have thought some dark and rather unchristian thoughts until my wife gently pulled me away by the arm before I could say any of them out loud. That's the challenge, isn't it? If we are to seek heaven's gaze, to stride more deeply into the season before us, then we will have to find a way to sing the songs of this church season, still waiting and longing as we are for light to break through the stormy clouds of Advent, all while the songs of the world around us demand that we get busy making a happy time of the holidays. Yet, as my wife can attest to, it won't do any good for us to become curmudgeons. Nor will it work just to shut the world out and wait here in church, singing through endless verses of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, all the way to Christmas Eve, because somehow we believe that this is the kind of place where light is to be found and not elsewhere. That would be, of course, to miss the point entirely. For if we are to have any chance of making head or tail of this wild and weird story of miracle babies and saviors of the world born among farm animals, then we will need to realize that the story is trying to tell us something each time that it is told. That God is at work anew, making frail flesh a place for heaven's home in every one of us. In this age of doubting God and undervaluing the power of goodness and the strength of love to shape a better world, our task is to be attentive to where the light will shine. Look, see these things taking place. Be on guard, be alert, each Admonitions from the passage of Luke's gospel we heard from this morning. Wake up, Luke is telling us. Come alive. The world is filling with light. If only we might have eyes to see it. How fitting then it is that in this new church year which begins today, we move to the gospel of Luke, the gospel where the light of God in Christ Jesus is so desirous to be seen. Luke's is the physician's gospel, bustling with healing activity, busy with the outbreak of the Spirit pouring into the hearts of God's people, of Zachariah and Elizabeth and their son John, a gift of the Spirit for a mother seemingly unable to bear a child, of Mary and Joseph and the Christ child who would be full of that same Holy Spirit. 
Luke's is the gospel for hopers and believers, for strivers and seekers. It is in Luke's gospel account alone that we hear the parables of the lost and then found, coin and sheep. And it is only Luke that has, for me, the story that lies at the heart of the entire New Testament, the parable of the prodigal or lost son. For here we see what light really does when we venture out into the world to find it. It is the story that tells us that no matter how hurting or hopeless or driven into a corner or seemingly abandoned to despair or racked by shame and guilt and self-loathing, we might find ourselves. There is still no place on this earth, no corner of our lives, no darkness too great for God's love to find us. When we are lost, God sets out to meet us and bring us home. Yet, as Luke is also at pains to teach us, the way home cannot be traveled other than through the darkness. The infant king will die. The beloved child of the manger will feel the abandonment of the cross. Luke prophesies the cosmic Christ, the Son of Man, coming to be our judge with awe and trembling, because in the final analysis, light is the gift that not only illumines our way ahead, but casts itself upon us so we might see ourselves for who we truly are. That is what it means to pray for the light of Christ in the season of Advent. It means for the light incarnate to be known in us and in return for us to give up our conceit that we have known where we were going all along. Advent is the season of our honesty before God and before one another. A life that is traversed too close to the shoreline is a life that dares not seek its own truth. You and I have to cast ourselves adrift from our sense of certainty about how the world really is and about how we really are if we are to find ourselves anew and be made new by the love whose light is coming once more. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wilder seas where storms will show your mastery. We're losing sight of land. We shall find the stars. <laughs>